first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday. We'll be answering listener questions all episode long. Today's episode is also an encouragement to stay in the fight. For many of us, this might be our longest sustained exposure to fighting against police brutality and systemic racism that has been the core tenet of our country since before its founding. So I encourage you to stay in the fight. This is not a fad or a trend or a two-week cleanse to get rid of the racism. Burnout when dealing with issues this large is inevitable, but I encourage you to stay with the fight however you can. That's physically in the streets, financially with your wallets, or your mind by being mindful and intentional about what types of media you are consuming and how you are considering your place within this country's systems. All month long, the Locked On Podcast Network is matching the donations from its hosts to the NAACP Legal Fund as well as the larger Black Lives Matter Fund. I'll be donating those causes and getting the network to match my contributions, and if you're interested in doing the same, I encourage you to do that. Stay in the fight. we got a long way to go. Let's get into Mailbag Monday. Our first question of the show comes from PDX Romper at PDX Romper on Twitter who asks, I read an ESPN profile of Dame this spring that talked about his connection with the community in his hometown of Oakland. What other Blazers players, teams would you highlight as having made a real effort to give back to the community? In addition, Jason from Gmail asks a similar question. Jason asks, Thanks for opening the last pod with a call to support Black Lives Matter movement as we push against the systemic racism and the state-sanctioned murder of black people at the hands of the police. It's great to see Dame and others in the Trailblazers community, Trailblazers organization, actively participate in protests and amplifying this message. During your tenure covering the team, which players have been the most vocal about political and societal issues? So these aren't exactly the same question, but I think they're thematically related enough that we'll we'll kind of I'll kind of answer them together because I think that's the most fair way to approach it in terms of giving you guys the complete uh, picture. So this season that we're in or in the middle of or wherever we are sort of in the NBA season, this is my sixth full season covering the team. I had previously covered you know a handful of Blazer games here and there and in, in a past job, but but six full seasons being around the team, but you know every day or at every home game for the last two years. So it's hard for me to speak beyond sort of that six-year run. That's the last year of LaMarcus and then the following five seasons where Dame kind of took control of the reins. So I can't really speak to things that happened before that. So I won't go into things that I don't know. I'll just stick with the last six years, which is kind of what Jason asked anyways. Uh, PDX Romper might have wanted a little bit of a deeper dive, but I, I don't feel like I have the capacity to do that. In general... The Blazers are very supportive of their players speaking out and um, using their platform to approach issues that maybe perhaps some people feel are too political or, or just p- capital P political. But the Blazers, um, you know, they they're supportive of of their guys to go to go use their use their space to take up as much space as they want, use their platform to take up as much space as they want. Uh, this week on Thursday, Damian Lillard joined a crowd of about 10,000 people marching from the east side of Portland into downtown as part of the ongoing demonstrations in Portland. Uh, the following day, Anthony Simons, Nazir Little, Gary Trent Jr., Rodney Hood all joined marches, um, I, I believe a similar path. Um, but but the next the next day, maybe Friday, perhaps it was Saturday, but over the weekend. 
But I don't think uh, just marching in this these particular um, movements is is maybe like the best measure of of what this is. I think it's a good it's an important thing to highlight right now. I think Damian Lillard being at the front of the crowd was something that uh, Blazer fans got really energized about, and it also helps sort of normalize the, what what people are asking for in, um, in these demonstrations. Is just let's have the police not be able to have state sanctioned murder of black and other non-white people that seems like a simple ask but i think making it sort of a normal part from the most famous person in portland is valuable and when his other teammates join them it adds it amplifies the message it helps just it, it just makes it something that we that fans basketball people can feel more comfortable discussing and more comfortable saying this isn't a question of right or wrong what we're asking for is just sort of a baseline of human decency recognized by our local officials but I think other people have been very active in the community. Evan Turner, um, someone who's who's not super political and doesn't speak up very much on um, things that you would consider political issues, quietly has started a AAU prospect showcase for unsigned high school seniors and junior college players. That's something that directly affects his community. It's it's a it's a turn it's a showcase that's based in Chicago. That's that is community involvement and helping sort of using your platform to get to the next level. CJ McCollum has opened up two or three what he calls dream centers, which are computer labs and other learning spaces inside Portland uh, boys and girls clubs. Uh, other players have run, Wes Matthews used to run a coat drive. Uh, Noah Vonley used to do a backpack and turkey giveaway around Thanksgiving. There are a lot of these things that Blazers players have done when I've been around them. But in terms of the sort of the most vocal about political political and social issues, it's probably consistently been Damian Lillard for, for a couple reasons. One, he is the face of the franchise. And two, he's probably the best at sort of um, speaking with measured emotion to the press like the media goes to him for quotes and he understands that responsibility and kind of embraces it as as to be a voice but that isn't to say the dame is particularly political there have been times when the president has done something that has made our current president has done something that has uh made headlines and and you know in broadly negative ways, the way you'd kind of expect this, that gentleman to make headlines. And, and and Dame has, people have, you know, maybe in, in, have said, Dame, would you like to comment on this? And he'll say no. And that's not because he agrees or anything like that. It's just because he isn't as, he picks his spots that he is passionate and knowledgeable about to speak up because he doesn't want to um, condemn something or come down hard on something without having a, a, a strong understanding of it. So I think there's times when maybe... Um, he has has not been as vocal or about social issues that people might have wanted, but it's because it's he just he doesn't lean into every political issue because he probably just doesn't have the bandwidth to follow it all. He's got a lot on his plate. Uh, I think we expect a lot of athletes and we kind of go to them for guidance. Like I said, I think having uh, trailblazers be at the front of and involved in, in these uh, demonstrations in Portland helps sort of normalize it, but it isn't the these aren't the people that we should necessarily look to for our political guidance. So while I I really applaud Dame for being out front and being politically outspoken, being just outspoken, period, when he sees fit, um, there are times when he has not been outspoken about something that maybe I was passionate about or maybe you were passionate about, and I don't think we can blame him there either. This is. Dame is a really good dude who cares about the community and is and is involved to a certain extent in in some in social issues 
in this local community and back in Oakland where he's from. And he picks his spots. And frankly, I think that is as much as you can ask for him. He's on the right side more often than not. And when he's on the wrong side, it's just because he chooses not to speak. Uh, we should look to politicians to be leading the way on this, not athletes. This isn't a shut up and dribble. This is a please God legislate uh, because the people who are dribbling are asked to carry an unfair burden, if you ask me, to not only be excellent basketball players, but to be leaders of the community. And when they are both those things, we should commend them. And when they aren't both those things, we should be we should remind ourselves who should be leading the community. This is not an excuse for athletes. This is more of me pointing a finger at politicians to be leading us in the correct direction as much as they possibly can. Okay, that first segment was pretty topical. We're not always that topical on Mailbag Monday, and we'll uh, stretch it out a little bit in the second segment. Stick with us. But before we get there, answering more of your listener questions on this wonderful Mailbag Monday, let me tell you all more about Bill Bar. Bill Bars are tasty. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Comes with 16 amazing flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and chewy. They've got a great texture. They just taste good. That's the trick. You've If you've tried other protein bars, some of them are are not yummy. These are yummy. That's what Built Bar is doing. They're making a really good tasting protein bar. In addition to that, they're also low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. They're wonderful for the health conscious among us. If you are reaching in your drawer or cupboard for a mid-morning snack, mid-afternoon snack, there are a lot of worse options. Don't pick a worse option. Pick a Built Bar. And to get your hands on one, here's what you do. You go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's the promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right. Still Mailbag Monday. Let's keep it rolling with more of your questions. This next one comes from Farmer Dave from Gmail. Farmer Dave, loving the giving yourself a radio type nickname. That's the energy we need from Gmail. Farmer Dave writes, I'm up in BC, Canada, and a fanatic Blazers fan. So you're a fanatic Blazers fanatic? Nice. I'm also an avid listener and really appreciate your approach and your content. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. I probably shouldn't have read this con- this compliment on air. I usually skip over them, but I guess I'm tooting my own horn today. <laughs> Dave's actual question is, my instinct is that this tournament is not really concerned about the safety of players. Because if it was, then why rush it? I am as pumped as anyone, but my instinct is that this must be is that this must be all about money. My question, do you think the Blazers' dissenting opinion in vote had anything to do with Dame's voice? Damien Lord knows about the dollars, and I'm confident that he knows that the tournament is a cash grab for dollar bills and could lead to tremendous risks for the players. Do you know if he ended up dissenting against this, and did that have an influence on the team's vote? Okay, little context to Farmer Dave's question. Uh, the the league has approved the uh, the board of governors approved the NBA's plan for a return to play with twenty two teams in Orlando, as laid out in my most recent podcast. Check back in your feed if you haven't heard it, but I'm, many of you listened. I I seen the numbers. Most most of y'all caught that one, so um, you're good there. You know that there's 22 teams heading to Orlando to play, to restart the season in a bubble. What I didn't mention on that podcast because it came out after publishing or after I hit after I hit go was that um, 
the league came back on a 29 to 1 vote. That's 29 votes in favor and one against. That one vote against your Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Dame famously had, famously, maybe infamously, had said that he didn't want to play in Orlando if those meaningless games. He was not talking about um, meaningless. He wasn't talking, he was saying that he didn't want to play in games without. Uh, there being a real way, real shot at getting to the playoffs. No, noting that there are risks, both COVID-19 related and also just if you play basketball games, you're liable to get hurt. But from what I understand from the reporting that has been done from uh, mostly Adrian Wojnarowski on this matter is that the, and a little bit CJ McCollum, tw- kind of tweeting an explanation on Twitter is that the Blazers mostly dissented because they wanted a 20 team restart, not a 22 team restart. And my read on that is that the Blazers wanted to have a more robust play in because play in because they believe that they, if there are, if there are more games in a straight up tournament format to get for the eighth, to get to the eighth seed, that they would have a better shot at it because they probably think they're more talented. The way the system is set up now where you play eight regular season games and you have to stay within four games of eighth place to trigger a play in game and all this complicated stuff it makes it harder because the blazers while they do have a leg up by having played more games than the other teams they're going to head to las vegas head to orlando excuse me they probably don't have as clean a path to making the playoffs when by the way it's set up now so i think that they saw themselves with fewer teams as a clearer path to the playoffs to be clear uh cj mccollum tweeted that the that ownership listened to the players concerns and then voted against uh the blazers also probably voted against because they felt strongly one way and knew that that their one vote wasn't going to sway anything but they might as well make their voice heard but for clarity purposes the next day the nba players association of which cj mccollum is vice president um he it was a unanimous decision to approve the plan cj voted voted yay voted in favor so um it's sort of unclear what exactly the blazers wanted or if they were just dissenting for the sake of saying that they dissented but you know want to restart the season because that's their number one passion so i don't think it had to do with dame but i will say this you are 100 percent correct farmer dave this is a cash grab and for in my opinion and for my money it's a bad look for the nba to restart a comeback and or start you know have a restart plan and have a comeback plan without having specific data outlined and how they're why this is safe and how they're going to approach it uh florida has reopened their numbers of cases are going up i'm not gonna i I don't want to drag on coronavirus stuff i've made it a point to uh move away from that it is a moral imperative to fight for the right of of black and brown lives it is not a moral imperative for me to discuss the coronavirus but in any case, it is seemingly dangerous for the NBA to to go to restart with a large group of people and and not um, have strong data that suggests that it's safe. There was this whole thing that Adam Silver said he was going to have he would rather have the data before the date, and it seems like they just decided this is the way we can salvage the most money possible. Let's pick a date and then figure out the way to make it work for us. There's going to be safety precautions in place. There's going to be strict rules about who can come in and out of the bubble, but there is no way to prevent, or I should say, there's no way to guarantee that you that there this contagious disease won't spread between players to coaches to team personnel to the janitors that clean up the arenas to the broadcasters that are uh you know 
shooting video to ha- put this game on television to all the people who work at hotels in the Disney facility all these things all these other people that are that are around there to to teams families and who are going to come to the the bubble eventually there's just no way to guarantee the safety of those people and while I'm excited for basketball to return I do think it's irresponsible let me say that clearly I think the NBA coming back is irresponsible all right, the next question comes from Cannon from Gmail. Cannon asks, in regard to scheduling the eight games to be played in Orlando, would it be fair to have all teams out of the top eight play one game against each of the top eight seeded teams in their conference, i.e. the Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs, and Suns have to play each team one through eight in the West while the Wizards do the same in the East? Canon, I like this idea because it doesn't prioritize teams that had sort of a naturally easy schedule uh, playing, you know, mostly low-level East, East Eastern Conference teams or whatever there is. And I actually think it would make some sense for the Wizards plan. Here is my main problem with this. After the Blazers, Pelicans, King, Kings, Spurs, and Suns have played everybody, that means the top eight teams in the West have all played five games. You need to figure out th- three games for each of them. But the Nuggets, Rockets, Thunder, Jazz are separated by two and a half games for spots three through six. So the sort of randomness of who each of those four teams plays in their other three games might decide who is on sort of the non-Lakers side of the bracket or who it might decide. I'm, it's not home court advantage anywhere, but it might decide, you know, who gets a higher seed, who gets an easier path, who gets a better, a better road towards the Western Conference finals. I think that while there is no perfect way to do this, just saying let's pick up the natural schedule the way it was supposed to play out anyways, seems like the least the least junky way to approach it. I think your plan is would be interesting and fun and maybe and more fair for the teams out of the playoffs certainly, but I don't like it for the teams that are in the playoffs just I think sort of the random the randomness of when the season ended and where you were at in the schedule is a more egalitarian way than after you play these five games, you'll will randomly pick some others for you to play. It, it's not. It's just not. It's imperfect, right? It's just everything's going to be imperfect. But I think for my money, your proposal, um, kind of that middle of the West, which is very crowded, gets uh, doesn't get its fair shot at sorting itself out in a natural way. Okay, next question, last one in this segment is from Matthew Reven at Reven Romulus on Twitter, who asks, which is more likely? The Blazers make the playoffs this year and shock the world by beating the Lakers in the first round, or one of the Lopez twins gets fined for sneaking out to spend a day at Disney World. So uh, the Bla- the the Blazers, the Blazers, along with the other teams in Orlando, are going to be on uh, the ESPN Wide World of Sports campus, which is its own separate 22-acre campus at Disney. At this larger Disney, it's like a 300-acre campus at Disney, so it's separate from the parks. Um, and according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, players won't be able to go to the parks. They won't be, like the park's going to be open to the public. Um, so there'll be people there at the parks, but it, like part of the bubble is that, uh, the Lopez twins who famously love, um, Disney world and Brooke Lopez, who owns a home, I believe within this 300 acre campus, like he owns a home, like in Disney world, truly in Disney world, shout out to Brooke. Um, they will not be allowed to go and ride their, their beloved rides. However, I think it's more likely that one of the Lopez twins gets fined for sneaking out to spend the day at Disney World because they won't be able to help themselves and because the Bucks have a have a pretty sizable lead. They're six and a half games up on Toronto for first place in the East. There is no 
uh, home court advantage should be won in the NBA Finals. So the Bucks finishing with the best record in the league would only be icing on the cake, not nearly as important as it previously would have been. They're up two games on the Lakers for those of you scoring at home. But the Bucks are up six and a half on Toronto. Let's say the Bucks open three and zero to start the eight game, the eight game. I forget what they're calling it, but the the eight you know pre playoff games that they're going to play in in Orlando, and the Raptors go two and one. That would give Milwaukee a seven and a half game lead with five games left to play. They would have clinched uh, number one seed in the East, and with five games left to play, that would give them you know roughly nine or ten days before the playoffs started uh, in earnest. And according to Shams Trania of the Athletic, if a player leaves the bubble and tries to re-enter, they'd have to quarantine for 10 days. So here's the scenario I'm seeing. Bucks finished 3-0. Toronto played that morning and lost a hard-fought game. Bucks now have clinched the number one uh, seed in the East. And 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 Brooke and Robin say, okay, peace out. And both of them go spend the day at Disney World knowing that a 10-day quarantine will allow them to be back for game one of the playoffs. Also, I just don't think the Blazers are going to beat the Lakers, so I picked the other one. But yeah, um, it's going to be tough for the Lopez twins in general to not go nuts in Disney World. I it's Imagine be, having your job and your favorite leisure activity in the exact same spot for 100 consecutive days, and yet you aren't allowed to go do the leisure activity. What a world for the Lopez twins. Okay, third segment. We'll come back and answer more of your questions. But first, I want to tell you all about Blinkist. It's hard to find time to sit down and read and learn more. We don't have free time. You can't read or work on personal development, but there's an incredible app that solves this problem. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. What it does is it takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. There's already 12 million people using Blinkist. It's incredibly popular, and that's because it's got a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestsellers list, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want, all for one low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for you. Go to Blinkist.com MBA to try it for free for seven days and get 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash MBA to start your seven-day free trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. Still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Lockdown Blazers, so we're still rolling along with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Hamilton from Gmail. Hamilton says, what if we had drafted Giannis instead of CJ? Or what if we drafted Durant? What do you think would be different? Well, um, those are two really big questions about six years apart. But let's, I, I, I could do a lot on these, right? Like I should, Giannis instead of CJ is a is 25 minutes of content, sweet Hamilton. So I'm probably not going to give that to you. I'm going to give you the super condensed version. Here is the case for taking Giannis over CJ. CJ was linked to the Blazers all during that pre-draft process. Um, They were a really good team, though. They were a 54-win team that year. Um, They, if there ever was a time to not pick a guy who was clear that he had an NBA skill, like it was obvious sort of from the scout people. I was, I was, remember, I, I would work 
uh, summertime doing like Blazers draft stuff. So I remember the CG draft very well. I remember covering the draft very well before I got on the beat, but I was still around the team. And it was just, it was clear from draft people that CJ was going to be right in that 10, 10, 11 range. It's going to be right there for the Blazers. And even if he duplicated a lot of, a lot of what Dame did, he had just undeniable skills. He had just lit up a Duke team with four NBA players on it, you know, weeks earlier. Everyone knew this guy could score. But there was a time, This, if there ever was a draft, a 54-win team that had a lot of depth and had, you know, uh, Will Barton and, and Wesley Matthews and Mo Williams and, and Damian Lord that had, that had established vests in front of him, if there ever was a time to swing the fences on a teenage, unknown teenage prospect from Greece, that was the draft. Giannis vaults that team not immediately, right? And and maybe the like perfect like the Bucks were the worst team in the NBA when Giannis's rookie year. He wouldn't have helped them immediately, but he vaults those. He really just changes the trajectory so dramatically. And maybe he was like perfectly incubated in uh, Milwaukee, where they said you're going to be the star. We'll let you get there. We'll build around you. All these things. And maybe that isn't the situation when he's the seventh best player on a team, and he's clearly buried in the pecking order behind Damian Lillard and and LaMarcus Aldridge for a couple seasons. But in the way that CJ broke out in year three, you can imagine Giannis breaking out in year three and being just so incredibly good. Like what if, like what if Damian Giannis are the best one, two punch in the league? That's what if, uh, the Durant thing, I'll just touch on it really quickly. My read on the Durant thing is that the, like it took Durant, nine years to realize like kind of to lean into his personality he was if you'll recall early in his career um like nice that was the whole thing about Durant is that maybe he was too nice and he kind of gave like cliched answers to the press and he was he maybe didn't show enough of his personality I can see a scenario where um Kevin Durant saddled by the LaMarcus Aldridge Brandon Roy weird beef and then what beef would have been of trying to shoehorn him another ball dominant guy who who's either a 2-3 or a 3-4 taking away from both those young stars he would have maybe morphed into the angry get me out of here Kevin Durant a little bit earlier but holy cow that's a tough one because he's he was the best scorer in the NBA from age 21 basically until he ruptured his Achilles, right? Uh, he's just been incredible for a decade. Um, I think he could have split town beforehand, just judging by his personality, but holy heck, would that have 2008 season felt a little bit different if he had a young Kevin Durant on that roster? That's the three-minute version of those answers. Um, oh, Hamilton, you asked one more question in this email. You're really shooting big. These are the biggest questions, biggest headlines. Do you think there's a possibility in a trade with Damian Lillard for another player? The Blazers aren't trading Damian Lillard. Hell no. I'm not even playing the drop. Hell no. Next question. Matthew from Reven- Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, back for his second question of the show, asks, which member of the 2014 starting lineup, excluding Dame, of course, has the most realistic chance of being back on the team next season? Okay, let's just take these one by one. Damian Lillard, 100%. Wesley Matthews, less than 5%, more than 0%, will give him 1.5% of returning to the team next year. Nicholas Batum, Oh, he's making $28 million next year. So unless he gets bought out and then Neil O'Shea retires, he's less than 1%. But I guess it's a non-zero number because he'll be an NBA player. So it's 0.005% that he returns. Uh, We'll skip the power forward for now. The center, Robin Lopez, seems slim, right? I feel like he's he's in that Wesley Matthews range. 
between zero and five percent. It's like a three percent chance, I'll say. Robin Lopez, three percent chance of coming back, which leaves us to with Lamarcus Aldridge, who is under contract next year with the Spurs. It was reported today that he's going to miss the remainder of the season after undergoing shoulder surgery. Um, there's a chance the Spurs go on like have a serious makeover this summer and and transition, and that Lamarcus is part of that transition. So I'll say there is an eighteen percent chance that LaMarcus is a Blazer next year. Um, I don't feel good about that. I think 18 is like probably way too high, so I'm going to just cut that in half and say 9% chance. But in any case, he's like 100% more likely than any of his other teammates to be on the team next year. Okay, final question of the show comes from Archer Effects on Twitter, HR, who asks, Have you heard the rumors that the Blazers are going to pursue Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee in the offseason? Thoughts? Do you have a preference between the two? Uh, Dwight Howard is significantly better than JaVale McGee. Um, he also probably comes with a little more baggage. It took him a long while to kind of figure out how he was going to turn into a role player. I think he's he's really in a perfect spot in in with the Lakers in terms of his redemption story, his comfort level, and the sort of ego-dominant personalities on that team to accept that role. Um I haven't heard that rumor. I didn't, I quick Google search, couldn't find where this maybe originated. Um, I can't imagine that the Blazers sign a veteran center, but maybe, you know, maybe they, they pencil in um, uh, Zach Collins as a full-time power forward. I kind of think that they'll sign someone kind of lower on the totem pole. I mean, maybe McGee comes for the minimum here, but um, it's, he seems like a guy who's kind of would rather sign the minimum for a re- like a really good championship level team um, based on his last couple contracts. So I don't, if I had a preference between the two, it's heavily Dwight Howard, future Hall of Famer versus JaVale McGee, future perfectly tall, good basketball player, but not um, even in the same stratosphere as Howard. That's going to do it for today's show. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. Either tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of questions or email me. A lot of you emailed me the last couple weeks. That's a great way to get in touch. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com or Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Stay in the fight. This isn't a fad. These are people's lives. Remember, matter is the minimum. Black Lives Matter is a baseline request. Matter is a minimum. We should be shooting much higher. Stay in the fight. Don't get burnout. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.